0: Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and this week's guest is a Pakistani American podcast host, a producer, and she just recently started her own production agency. Welcome, Misha Youssef. Hi, Noor. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited. So Misha was actually a guest that was recommended to me by one of my followers, who I literally don't even know who did, but thank you for recommending her because she's the coolest person
1: probably ever. <laughs> so that's like a high bar to live up to. I feel Listen, like. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is
0: I was just telling Misha this before we started recording. I never get nervous to record. And I was actually nervous to record with her because I'm like, she's like, a real podcast person. You know what I mean? This isn't a dig at any former guests, but like you, you do this for a living. So yeah. I just, you know, if you've listened to my podcast, you know that sometimes it's, it does, it's not the best audio. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. But you, I mean, it. that's the thing though. It's like every podcast has its own audience. It has its own style. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people forget as they professionalize is that like you have to understand the vibe that you're like promoting with your show and like what your vibe as a person is too, you know? So, um, obviously the highest quality audio is the greatest, but that also takes like a giant budget and like a lot of travel and expensive equipment. Um, and that's not always possible. Um, and I think ultimately people listen to your show cause they want to hang with you. So,
0: I mean, and the thing, he, the funniest thing is, is that I, you know, when I first started my podcast, I like went out and I bought microphones and I did all this research and, and like learning audio is not something that like came to me, you know, like I was like just psychotically looking up online, like how to figure it out. Cause audio is very tricky. Um, like I thought I was tech savvy until I started trying to navigate the world of audio. And unfortunately the the episode that I've gotten most compliments on, audio-wise, was recorded on my phone. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, don't really uh, care? Th- that's what I'm saying. And but also, like, the audio on my phone was actually better than like microphones or whatever. Yeah. And I was just like, how does this make any sense at all? But I feel like I read somewhere. Did you teach yourself? Like, kind of. Like when it comes to like the world of po- like, did you teach yourself like how to edit audio and all of that stuff?
1: Yeah, I taught myself how to do all of it. Um, and and for me, it was like a really really big priority because I did want to get into podcasting like almost the way that people get into like filmmaking. Yeah, um, I saw it as like an opportunity to do like really artistic narrative fiction and nonfiction shows with like original scores and like I really wanted to like push the boundaries of the medium itself. So it was less about like the people that I wanted to interview or the conversations that I wanted to have and more about like how can I make stories that nobody has made before in ways that nobody has made them before. Yeah. Um, so in order to do that, like I really had to like focus on the craft. Um and with like even before my first podcast, like I taught myself how to edit in Adobe Audition and then I took a radio workshop that I crowdfunded for because I was poor. I'm still so <laughs> poor. I'm always poor.
0: are not we all poor? Kind of. <laughs> I spend
1: it all and then I'm poor again. Yeah. Um, but I at the time I you know I was in grad school and they couldn't afford the workshop so I crowdfunded for it and my friends and family each donated like $25 a piece or whatever and ended up doing that. And that really kind of elevated my editing game. And then from there, like every opportunity I got, I learned from other people and asked them to show me things. Um, An ex of mine bought me Pro Tools lessons for a birthday. And so I I did those. Um, And then I also put out my first podcast independently. And in the process of making that podcast, I learned a lot about running a small business, um, you know, marketing podcasts, but also like writing scripts, meeting deadlines, interviewing people, getting the right equipment, um, sound designing, like all of that I learned essentially through the process of making beginner, um, which is why like I always want to pay it forward too, you know, because I had to learn it on my own.
0: Definitely. I haven't listened to beginner yet. I'm actually saving it. Like I literally have it like saved to listen to like next time I have to like, I don't know, like do something that I want to listen to like a podcast and like binge it. And the reason I say that is because, so you released a podcast last year during Ramadan and, um, it's called tell them I am. And I, I can't stop recommending this podcast to people because first of all, like it totally, make sense with everything that you're saying now because it's really unlike any other podcast that I listen to. I guess I just listen to like a lot of trash podcasts. I'm not really sure but it was like beautiful. Like I felt like I was being transported. The music was perfect. Your voice is literally the most soothing voice. Like you should do ASMR or something. I don't fucking know. Uh,
1: Like (laughs) the first time I've heard that, the ASMR thing. (laughs) No dude, you have a really
0: like your voice is kind of made for like podcasts or audio or whatever. Like your voice is made for people to hear basically. Um, And I just thought that it was so innovative and I've never really seen anyone do anything Quite like that, and not just from the aspect of, you know, your you had all Muslim voices, and 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 all the guests were Muslim, even though it didn't necessarily revolve around them being Muslim, which I also really appreciated because, you know, I feel like a lot of times it's very easy to just kind of make it just about that, and suddenly their a Muslim's identity becomes just oh, they're Muslim, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, first of all, thank you so much. Those are such high compliments. And I really, really appreciate it. Um, I think also, it like, for me, the priority with that show was to make people feel like they didn't have to do any work to get to know these people. And so it like, I think that was what like informed all of the decisions around the show like I wanted it to literally feel like eating french fries or like candy or like laying in like a hot bath with like absent salt and like really nice scents you know where like that's how it felt yeah yeah where like because the whole goal was to like make a group of people who are not demonized feel like they're your best friend or like an intimate lover and like, In order to do that, like everything matters, like the music matters, the format matters. Also, thank you for the compliments on my voice. That is (laughs) so so much because for the longest time, I thought I sounded like a 13 year old boy. Oh, (laughs) not at all.
0: Not even slightly. I I hear 13 year old boys speak regularly because I'm a school counselor, not because I just like hang out with like teenage boys and they don't, they don't sound like that. They're, they're much more squeaky. I would say
1: (laughs) maybe I like in my brain, I've gotten stuck in my own uh, 13 year old voice version. And like, (laughs) you know how you like see yourself a totally different way than you actually are. A thousand percent. Um, But yeah, like everything down to the colors of the tile art, you know, and, um, working with Emin to do the illustrations and how the stories were structured and the kinds of guests that we talked to and the types of subjects that we focused on was just all designed to be like candy. Um, and so it's, it's just really nice to hear when it does feel that way for somebody, you know, although I
0: definitely, yeah, it definitely felt like it like i i loved it so much that like i was sad when it was over which i've really never experienced with a podcast like i feel like i felt that way about books or a movie but i've never felt that about a podcast and that's why i think it really resonated with me because i was like oh, i'm genuinely like upset and i want more I, like i i want this to never end like i need this to happen and and we were kind of chatting about this um before we started recording um about possibly um, like a part two of Tell Them I Am, which I'm hoping something something like that will happen again
1: down the line. Because like I said, I mean, I clearly can't get enough of it and I would like more. <laughs> I know I would like more too. It was like the most joyous experience of my life making that show. Um, yeah, I'm working on trying to make a season two or a spinoff of the show happen right now. It probably won't happen um, in Ramadan 2020. But, Cause that's like really soon. That's like tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, if, I mean, we did turn around the show in like 60 days, which is the most insane thing ever, but wow. um, that was also because I had the most magical team on the planet. Um, but I think the goal is like late 2020 to at least have um, a plan, a production plan for a spinoff or a second season, depending on whether or not I'm able to get that show back from my former employer and to get ownership over it again, um, and and to release something at the latest in early 2021. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be obviously like on watch,
0: and if it does, <laughs> and I'm hoping that it does happen, I will let all the people know, but, um, so you, you left your former employer and you started your own production agency actually very recently in January. Yeah. Uh, that's super exciting and also like major, how has that transition been for you?
1: Yeah. It's been an interesting few months in general. Um, mostly because I, uh, so right after I produced tell them I am, I like went on vacation. <laughs> Um, and was like, okay, like now time to like breathe and relax. And, um, and then I got hit by a car as a pedestrian. Like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. On September 11th. Holy shit, that feels like a personal attack. It, felt, it very much felt like a personal attack, but it definitely wasn't. It was a freak circumstance. Like an elderly gentleman lost control of his car in oh no. broad daylight, midday, um, and ended up you know, running into a bunch of pedestrians. And <gasps> it, was, it was a bad scene all around, but um, that was like a very intense experience. And then my partner of several years and I also split that same week and so it was like are you fucking kidding me i know i know it was just like i was like all right god is or the universe or whatever is trying to do yeah. something like clearly like getting physically hit by a car
0: and also ending a very long relationship i feel like also this might, I feel this way all the time. When something terrible happens, it happens like in bulk, like lots of really bad things all happen at once. And I'm like, what is the point of this? Like, why can't this be more like spread out? Like it would, I feel like it would be more manageable if if this could just be spread out a little bit, but that doesn't seem to be the case. But that sounds like a really not so fun time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was not a very fun time. Um, I had to have like ACL surgery. I mean, I came out almost entirely, alive. Um, but like, I didn't, you know, I didn't get like significant, like brain damage or like yeah. the kind yeah. of injury that would like impede any of my normal functions permanently. Um, well, that's good. But yeah, but I do have like a year long of, of recovery ahead of me for my, for my right leg, which is kind of, I mean, it's, it's a challenge I've never had before. So in that way, um, I'm, I'm like really excited to grow, but yeah, um, So I think that was that like breakup and accident was kind of like the simultaneous sign from the universe that like, okay, yes, I got to make this amazing show and um, other amazing shows with this awesome team at this job I really love. But like, it's time to kind of elevate the game and do like the next level of like podcasting and, and like kind of achieve the vision that I've like always had for myself. Um, and like up the ambition, you know, a little bit. And so I decided to start my own production company in January. Um, and it's called dust light productions, which is kind of inspired by soupy poetry. So love that so much. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, really, really excited. We have some projects in the works that I'll be able to like announce more publicly, like late this year. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a hard transition. It's not easy to like become a CEO and, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Cause it's like, like, I feel like
0: you, you were doing a lot at your old job, but you're like, now it's like a lot of responsibility is on you now. So I'm like, that's definitely like, I feel like one of those transitions though, that it's, you're putting in all this work that I'm sure you were putting in before, but like, I feel like the payoff is going to be even more. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's just kind of everything when you become an adult or you realize the more you invest in yourself and the more risks you take, the higher the reward is usually, even though it's fucking hard. But like, that's just a part of life, I guess. Like you could be comfortable and stay where you are and still be really content and, and make things that you really love. But I think when you take that kind of leap and- Do your own thing, that that's major.
1: Yeah. I mean, and part of the lesson I learned was from Tell Them I Am as well, because I didn't own that podcast. You know? So like it's one thing to like not own it and get like any profit from it or whatever, but it's another thing to like not own it and have no say over the future of this thing. And that's when I was like, Oh, I don't want that. Like I wanna have ownership over the things that i pour my heart and soul and like my life story into and that other people that i love and respect pour their life stories into and i want to give that opportunity to other creators and because no podcasting company or public radio station currently has that in place i just felt like there's such an opportunity to to create an environment that doesn't exist that really treats people especially artists and creators so much better than they're being treated right now you know Um, absolutely yeah yeah
0: and like and that's the thing like i i i've been contacted before by like agencies or whatever that that do want to help with like podcasting but it just always feels like it's not like a mutually beneficial situation (laughs) do you know what i mean like it always just kind of seems like hmm this really just feels like you're gonna take a lot of credit for this thing that i'm gonna be putting a lot of effort into which is why my audio sucks. I I blame them. Like, that's the reason my audio sucks. Cause I have to fucking do this myself. But, uh, um, but yeah, like I, I think that there definitely is kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a lack of that in the podcasting world. And I also feel like podcasts are at like a, like they're, they've become so, like common now. And I just remember a time where I would literally talk about podcasts and no one was, everyone's like, what the fuck is that? Like, what's the podcast app on my iPhone? Like, I, I just have it like in a random file. I don't use it. Like, what are you using it for? Like, and now podcasts have just become so normal and like mainstream, which is great in a lot of ways. um, Because I think that it's giving people of all, you know, walks of life, an opportunity to kind of have a voice and, and share whatever they're passionate about.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it is. I mean, I got into it because, honestly, actually, I can't really articulate why. <laughs> <laughs> why I was like, oh, I want to, like, make radio instead of, like, make movies. Because, like, yeah. when I got into it. There was, like, no cereal. There was no S-Town. There was no, like you know uh there was just this american life like that's it and like which is great
0: but but it's you know it's not i feel like the same podcasting world that it is now because you started i i want to say like in 2017 maybe
1: i started well i started technically in like 2014 okay Um, okay yeah i i made like more of a public debut with beginner in 2017 okay okay yeah
0: so, so you started really, really early on where, yeah, there was literally pro- like not much, maybe like TED Talks.
1: Yeah. yeah there Which, was Ted Radio yeah. Hour and like This yeah. American Life and like NPR, like that's yeah. it. And then Serial and Startup both came out right after I had decided to go into radio. Um... But I was going to say, like, I got into it because of the low barrier to entry. But I honestly think that's not true. Like, I if I look back, like, I think I just was drawn to audio for no particular reason. <laughs> <laughs> that's such
0: a great story. Like, yeah, I just did it for no, just no reason at all. I just, you know, decided yeah. to do it. I mean, but that, I love that, though, because it doesn't have to be some deep, you know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. always have to be some like I had a burning desire ever since I was a little girl to just you know, podcast or or you know be on the radio. Like it doesn't doesn't always have to be that. Sometimes you can just kind of make a decision and and really love it, and it becomes your entire career, which is really fucking cool.
1: Yeah, I mean honestly, it was like like I love listening to NPR in the car. Yeah, and like one time I remember in high school, my friend Golnush was. Applying to NPR internships, and like nobody as a high schooler was even eligible to apply. So I don't know what she was doing applying to <laughs> But why this is important is like it made me so jealous that she was <laughs> applying because I was like, wait, then she could get an internship, and like I want that. And like, yeah. it's one of those strange things where you don't realize that like you're into a dude until like someone else wants the dude. And then you're like, Oh yeah. Oh my God. Like, no, he's mine. Like that was like probably one of the first indications I had. And then the next real indication I had was like a psychic in senior year of high school <laughs> I grabbed my palm and was like, you, you're going to go into a creative profession, like writing or like movie directing or something. And I was like, no, I'm not like, I'm going to go to law school. And she was like, okay, law school can be creative too. Like she was so startled by (laughs) my like getting so upset, but like that never left my brain. Like I was like, maybe I am supposed to go into a creative profession, you know? Uh, I mean, she was
0: clearly onto something. And I will say though, my sister is an attorney and I know a lot of attorneys and I don't feel like it's very creative. Sorry if you're a lawyer and you're listening to this, (laughs) but uh, I think you probably made the right choice. But Also, I think that what just touching on what you said earlier about wanting something kind of when it's out of reach, I really feel like I feel that way a lot of times, but not even like it, like just in a weirdly competitive way when no one is prompting me to be competitive. Suddenly I'm just like in a competition really with no one else. And suddenly have this like strong desire just to like know that I can have the thing. I just want to know that I can have it basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, like it's so funny because that, that that like resonates so hard with me because also around the time that I got into podcasting and was like I'm going to do this was like probably one of the most ambitious periods of my life and it was motivated entirely by like a breakup with another ex-boyfriend, like a serious one. Um, yeah. I've, I've like had two serious ones and this is the more serious recently, but that one was like my first serious boyfriend ever and he had said while we were dating that like i would never make it as a journalist because of my uh the color of my skin and my last name and i don't think this guy even remembers that he said that to me like imagine him in 20- terrible fucking thing to say by
0: that's the way a racist. objectively a very bad thing to say
1: to your girlfriend like yeah. I, like that's so that says so much about like Oh, this person had such a fucked up attachment style. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yikes. Yeah. Like, oh God. Anyway. But so, but that was like the fuel. Like after we broke up, I was like, oh, I'll show you. Like, I'll make it, you know? And like that fueled me for a long ass time, like years, you know? Well beyond like getting into a very serious relationship with a different person and getting very successful, um, And I think there have been things like that that have been said to me about like, oh, you won't be able to start your own company because like, it's really hard or it requires a level of accountability to other people. Or I have seen you not have a work ethic or whatever, you know? And I like, I'm like, oh, you've seen me not have a work ethic. Now see me have a work ethic. Like Exactly. Yeah. Watch bitch. Like this is good.
0: (laughs) And and I think that something that to be said about that is also like, just because you don't necessarily have the best work ethic at whatever point you're at, doesn't mean you can't develop a good work ethic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like any other habit. Like if you, if you work on it, it, it'll happen. It's not that out of reach, but I feel like there is this weird kind of, people like to like they know who someone is yeah and and they really like to just kind of have this idea of who you are and then like that's who you are and you're you can't be anything else and I'm very much so like no like I constantly want to fucking confuse people and just (laughs) you know just do things just on a whim and like I I, I really don't like being boxed Mm. in any way shape or form yeah and so I think that also kind of fuels a lot of the weird shit that I do. When I wanted to start my podcast, I just, I wanted to start it for such a long time, but I just kept psyching myself out. That was my issues. Like I kept being like, I don't, I don't know anything about audio. Like I don't, I don't have the perfect title. I don't this, I don't that and blah, blah, blah. blah. And like, and it's still not where I want it to be. But I think that I'm just so glad that I decided to actually fucking do it because why was I sitting on it for so long? Yeah, I, I feel that way about a lot of things. Like if you want to do something, just go fucking do it. And if you fail at it, that's fine. But in some way, shape or form, you're still going to learn something from that. So just do the thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad you made your show, you know, it's like, and I think you don't realize how much easier it is than it seems in your mind until you do it. Like I have never been proven like, Oh, I was right about all of my doubts. Like I, I, (laughs) I shouldn't have done this. This is insurmountable in reality. Like I have actually always been proven wrong and it's always ended up being easier than I initially imagined. And I think there's also this like amazing feeling of discomfort that you get every time you do something that you haven't done before. Yes. That like, Like, that's kind of where the joy of life comes from, you know, and that's... I've grown to appreciate
0: that more, I feel like, in my adult life than when I was younger. I feel like now I have an appreciation for the unknown. Like, now I'm like, oh, that's exciting, rather than I'm
1: terrified. Yeah. Yeah. What what do you feel like was, like, the pivotal moment for you where you...
0: I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't. I didn't. Not to make this like a oh, girls are only fucking fueled by breakups, but I was <laughs> fueled by a, like a really bad breakup that I was in a relationship with someone for a really really long time, and it ended really poorly, and I was really pissed off, and so I decided to just completely put myself and consume myself with productivity in whatever form I could, because I would rather be productive. Not that I'm not, you know, feel your feelings and all that. And I let myself feel my feelings. You know, I wasn't being unhealthy about it, but I just really wanted to make better use of my time. And I was just like, why was I wasting All these years with this fucking loser. Sorry, he's a loser. Uh, (laughs) This fucking loser, when I could have been doing all these other things that I had, again, at that time. Like, obviously, he wasn't standing in my way, but sometimes certain relationships can, I feel like in certain ways, hinder your ability to feel motivated or believe in yourself, depending on the situation. And I think that in that relationship, I was so busy trying to care for this person and make those things work that I wasn't able to put my energy into other things that I was really you know, passionate about. And so literally I got out of that breakup and I was like, I'm gonna fucking start a podcast. I'm gonna fucking yeah. do this, I'm gonna do that. And I just started throwing
1: myself into it. And honestly, it was the best decision I've ever made. Yeah, it's funny because that, that thing about being hindered by another person I used to always think that like hindering somebody looked like my my first ex-boyfriend, the one I mentioned said like, you're never going to make it. But I think hindering can also look like if that person is taking up more room in the relationship than is actually theirs to take. Yes. You know, like if their work is always more important or if their family is always more important or their time is always more important or things are always happening on their convenience or they always need you to like take a look at the things that they're doing because like they want your support and your opinion. Yeah, It feels like it's all coming from a place of like love and collaboration and like being interdependent, but it also is like holding you back because it doesn't allow you to focus on yourself, you know. Um. And yeah, and, and I I completely agree with that. And I very often in relationships do
0: feel more so like a caretaker than a mm-hmm. partner. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that that's a common thing that women struggle with, which is why right now, like as you know, as a thirty year old woman, I'm turning thirty one soon. I'm finding it more and more difficult to convince myself that being in a relationship will actually benefit me in any way or and not hold me back which is really sad and and I promise I'm not a super cynical person I'm actually quite optimistic but genuinely like through my experiences and just you know other women's experiences I'm just kind of like I really feel like what is actually the point of it other than having a partner to keep you company. And quite frankly, like I'm very introverted, so I don't really need that much company.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, I think it's interesting because I'm also wrestling with this question right now. And it's, I feel like so much of my teens and my early twenties were spent in pursuit of love Uh um, and, and perhaps like, because I wanted to be loved so badly. And I think I was very lucky to be in a very, very beautiful, very healthy love for a very long time with my um, most recent partner, but I think coming out of that relationship, like I don't feel starved for love in the same way anymore. I oh, yeah. don't feel like I need somebody to tell me that I'm worthy. And like, also like you and I are like financially independent women. Yeah. You know? And like, we have like rich communities of like friends and family and followings. And like, I think that's kind of where it gets interesting where I'm like, okay, so it's not really for any of that so it yeah is, it is for like partnership it is to like have somebody to like spend time with and have fun with and somebody who makes you feel supported and at peace yeah. you know and i think frankly there are very few men out there who are mature enough to be that i think most men i that's yeah that's what that's where the issue lies is that When it
0: comes down to it, that's really all we're looking for. And those men are very far and few between, like, few between, because I I find more often than not, and I hate when girls say, like, oh, I'm just really intimidating. Like, fuck, you know you're not. But, like, (laughs) honestly, (laughs) I do think that men are very easily intimidated. So I get it now because you, you tell a Muslim guy, because unfortunately, I do hopefully want to marry someone who is Muslim. Just, you know, I feel like it will make my life easier, even though I'm not the most religious. It's just something that I think will make my life easier. And Muslim guys freak out if you tell them that you live alone, like they're like, just something about being like, oh, I live alone. It's like, what, what do you mean? Why do you live alone? Like, are your parents, like, do they, like, hate you and I'm like no my parents love me actually probably more than they should um, I just needed my own space like why is that weird I'm an adult woman like you know what I mean like why are you being weird about it
1: yeah I mean I have actually never dated a Muslim guy and like never wanted to and not <laughs> not in a self loathing kind of way it's almost like in the way that like when the car was gonna hit me I knew I wasn't gonna die Like, yeah. it's like I just n- no, and God will probably prove me wrong now that I'm saying this out loud. which <laughs> is fine, whatever, I don't care. Um, but I have always kind of known inside that like my mission on earth is to like celebrate another culture through love. Not, not my sole mission, but like my romantic mission on earth. Like I really don't feel like I'm meant to be with another partner who is also Muslim. Like I feel like I'm meant to like, like bridge cultural gaps. Like I don't know why I feel this way, and I felt this way. You are the United Nations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is who you are as a human. Why? <laughs> I I just I, I I that's actually really I think cute. Like, and I say that like not in a condescending way, but I do think that's actually fucking cute because I, I, there is something to be said about bridging two cultures together. I mean, I'm the youngest of six siblings and none of wow. my siblings are married to Arabs. They are all Muslim, but none of them are Arab. And yeah. even just that, I feel like has enriched my family so much. And yeah. I think that there's something to be said about you know, inter- whatever you know whether it comes from race or religion or whatever the fuck I think there's something to be said about that and I think that it is very it's a really beautiful thing when two different worlds kind of collide
1: yeah and I think like it really does I don't know like you it, it makes like love a more like global phenomenon in a way where like you are like one, it's really cool to like learn about somebody else's world. And like, yeah, when we get to learn about a whole other culture through the person that you love. I think it inherently allows you to view that culture from like a very, um, empathetic lens, you know, yeah. like my, um, most recent ex was Jewish. And I mean, I grew up Muslim and there's like a lot of like condescending things that are said in passing that are not very like serious, but like kind of, anti-Semitic in nature. And sure. mine was like never that way at all. But I think like falling in love with a Jewish person, like made me so much more understanding and like so much more able to like talk about that, even coming out of that relationship. Um, and it's actually something I used to like try to, cause he was very, um, he like really wanted like to raise Jewish children and like saw himself like ending up with a Jewish woman and all of that. Like especially when we first met and that kind of dissipated a little bit over time, but like kind of was always a factor. Um, Yeah. But like what I used to say is like, look, this is one of our greatest assets. Like we are, we are not just like two people who get to love each other and expose our families to something more enriching, but we also show the world like what is possible, you know? And like the more like interracial, interreligious couples there are like, honestly, the, like the less polarization there is because you're like getting to know the other very intimately, you know? Uh, I
0: think, yeah, that's that's so true. And like I said, like I've seen this, you know, even with my siblings, like yeah. the way their kids can kind of, no one can tell where they're from, you know, just looking yeah. at them, they have no idea where they're from. So it kind of removes this like level of like racism that's even possible because it's like, what even are you like, oh. yeah, like no one knows. But I also think it is interesting because my, my last serious relationship was with a white guy who uh-huh. was an atheist. So how was that? I, I mean, 10 out of 10 wouldn't recommend, but not because he was white or an atheist, but because he was addicted to Adderall. Oh, but that's wow. neither here nor there. Oh. <laughs> Adderall? Did you guys ever do it together? I I have tried Adderall recreationally before, but I'm also a little bitch and I get really scared of like, real drugs you know what i mean like there's something about it i just feel like i'm gonna be that one person who's gonna like die from it and then they're gonna call my parents and be like your daughter Nora is dead now it's because she did drugs <laughs> and then my parents are gonna be so upset because they're gonna be like fuck like i knew she was on drugs this whole time i'm constantly like no mama i'm not on drugs this is just my demeanor at all times i'm very on edge and kind of twitchy but this is just like how i am but no yeah he was just he was just not the best person but I did kind of feel like walking around with him especially like I feel like as like a hijabi woman where I'm very visibly Muslim walking with this very visibly waspy white guy it was kind of I think eye-opening to a lot of people because they were taken aback and I would see people visibly taken aback like oh, wait, this isn't just your friend. Wait, you're in a relationship with this person? Like, yeah. how the fuck does that work? And I think that in a lot of ways, it 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 was kind of an eye-opening experience for me, Um, even though it didn't turn out, you know, well. I do think that I learned a lot from it. And I also learned that... Um, just because someone is an atheist doesn't mean that they want to convert to Islam, even as a JK. So,
1: <laughs> so that's just
0: something that I've learned in life. Um, they they take
1: atheism pretty seriously. So, wait, let me ask you this: How does it work? Like, how how do relationships work for you?
0: Um. So for me, they usually work like very poorly because I think there is a lot of reasons why. Um. I I'm a very like loving and caring person almost to a fault and like that's not like a humble brag like it's actually just like it's a problem like I'm too caring and I think it's because I was raised in a family where we love very intensely and once we commit to someone we really fucking commit like it's not like a joke like it's yeah. like no I really fucking love you like and I will like make my life's mission to make you happy that's just how my parents have loved us that's how I love my siblings like it's probably not normal. But um basically I I I always kind of am pretty private about my relationships when it comes to my parents unless I think that it's going to result in marriage. So mm-hmm. any relationship that I've had in my life unless I was really serious about the guy, I never even really brought it up to my parents. But I do think that now that I'm older, if I were to be in a relationship, I do think That I would feel comfortable speaking about it openly to my parents and not being like, oh, hey, like we're going to get married. Like we want to get married, but just being like, oh, hey, I met this guy and I actually really like him and I'm getting to know him. Which, whereas when I was younger, the thought of that was like terrifying to me for whatever reason, even though my parents are. They are religious, but they're also very educated and open minded and progressive and understanding. And I don't know wh- why I had this built up fear in my mind, but I mean, it's just, you know, I think that they would have been okay with it. And it probably would have resulted in healthier relationships for me because I think a lot of stressors that happen with young Muslims when they're in relationships is it's like this double life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How have your experiences with relationships and kind of your family been, because you're, you're Pakistani and, you know, I've dated some Pakistani guys They're They can be intense, you know, Pakistani families.
1: Mean yeah. Them. I mean, I come from like a very unusual family and, and I think my family kind of only speaks for itself. Um, because I have a, uh, my best friend is half Iranian, half white, and her husband is Pakistani, but his family is like radically different from my family. And she would always be like, well, your family doesn't do this. Like, why doesn't he, why doesn't like he do this? Or like, why doesn't his family do what your family does? And I'm like, you don't understand. Like my family is the exception, not the rule. So like yeah. hold him to these standards because no one will meet, match them. Um, my, so My family is interesting. My dad um, kind of moved away from religion probably in his like mid 30s, late 30s. And right when I was like kind of getting into my teenages, he and I started to have conversations about religion. Um, And my mom has like always aspired to be religious, but like frankly isn't that religious, you know? Um, Like she tries to pray multiple times a day and like she does spend the vast majority of her time reciting prayers out loud to herself um (laughs) it was kind of amazing she's like praying for everybody in the entire world one by one that's adorable Um, it is really cute but like also like at the end of the day like my mom is a very chill person fell deeply in love with my most recent partner um like almost like her own son and like was very much hurt after we broke up um you know, she kind of, like, I think initially had this idea that, like, my sister and I would end up with Muslim guys, um, or, like, Pakistani guys, and then kind of realized, like, oh, that's probably never gonna happen, and then <laughs> it was, like, okay, they'll, like, end up with, like, Muslim guys, and, like, my dad kind of was, like, on board for that, and then I think they were, like, oh, maybe that won't happen either, and then <laughs> as as we completely let go of all standards, um, I think they still have like a secret hope that I will end up with like a Muslim Pakistani guy Um, or at the very least, I think their, their true hope is that I'll end up with somebody who seriously is excited about and wants to celebrate and get to know Muslim and Pakistani culture. I think that's their real like desire and limit. And I think that was something that we all didn't realize until I had like dated a few people and they had like Witnessed some of those relationships and figured out where that line was. But I have always been very, very honest with my parents. Um, lucky for my younger siblings, I have paved the way for them <laughs> to, to live much chiller lives. Um, I didn't start dating until I was much older, anyway, because I had immigrated from Pakistan when I was twelve, and so it took a long ass time to even like let go of like that fear of like, oh my god, I'm in America, and like, am I cool enough, like you know, to even find yourself attractive enough that somebody else might find you attractive and actually do something about it. Um, Yeah. And I also think that immigrating from Pakistan at the age of 12
0: is like a very specific time in a girl's life where you're starting to become more self aware and self conscious. So I feel like that also probably wasn't helping the situation either. Because you probably were like, am I cool enough? Am I like, you, comparing yourself to all these people who you've never really seen anyone like before, yeah. and I—I I mean, I would freak the fuck out. Like, I personally—I mean, I moved to Dubai when I was twelve, and I obviously thought I was the coolest fucking person ever because I was like, "I'm from America, fuck you guys!" Like, I have Converse and I drink Dr Pepper. Like, you guys are fucking losers. But
1: and you- <laughs> no, but it is like I—I I was really cool in in my school in Pakistan, you know, yeah. like it was, like gonna be head girl and and so like I, I moved here and like all the boys had crushes on me since like second grade like literally it was like I was like the hottest most popular girl in I love world. that for you so much <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I love that for me too and then I like come here to this other country and it's all of a sudden like I'm a loser like why that's you know? just not that's not cool that's yeah. not cool at all <laughs> it's just not cool and I like kind of started to feel and I think my sister did too like do you guys know who the fuck I am? Yeah, like, yeah. And like this sense of like, okay, we got to rectify the situation. We got to like learn the cultural like uh, nuances so that like we can be cool again. Um, but that that process has, has took really, <laughs> really long time. And then to then deprogram yourself and be like, cool doesn't matter. Just yeah. being a good human matters. Like it's such a it's such a thing, you know. Um, but I think I was very lucky throughout that whole process that like as we moved further away from having recently immigrated, so like as uh, we moved in 2003 and like as the years went on, I think my parents loosened up more and more because they were less stressed out. They were more like settled, we were more settled. And that allowed for me to like, every time I was honest with them, it opened up a new door and it was difficult. Like for me to be honest with my parents was not like easy breezy, you know, whatever, cover girl. Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's, it can be intimidating,
0: especially I think, with parents who are immigrants, because you feel like they made this sacrifice for you to a certain degree, and you don't want to let them down. But you don't really know exactly what it is that you you have a general idea of what they want from you. But you're also not 100% sure. So
1: you're like, is this okay? Like, is this gonna disappoint you? I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think like the advice that I give to other young Muslim kids, especially or immigrant kids is like, it's okay to reality test a little bit, but reality test from like a place of honesty, you know, because like if you're reality testing and hiding, you're just creating an environment where like later in life, you're going to regret that you never knew your parents and your parents never knew you. And like, absolutely. Like, yeah, I don't want my parents to die without having ever known who they were as humans. You know, Uh, it's and I think that I I realized that probably like in my mid
0: 20s. And once I realized that I was like, I need my parents to know me. Like, I need, and and it was like, and I feel like they were a little alarmed at first because they were like, why are you talking to me about like, because before that, my conversations literally revolved around, no, mama, I'm not hungry, or like, yes, baba, I prayed, or like, oh, I don't know what's wrong with my car, just like very superficial yeah topics and and my parents are also a lot older they're in their 70s now and so I feel like for them they and I've spoken to my parents about this before like did you ever really have like a deep connection with your parents and I think that in certain ways that they did but I don't think that they really knew each other Mm -hmm. which is so I think was so common at the time but I definitely make an effort now to really let my parents know who I am and I talk to them about things even though I think that a lot of times they don't get it or they're uncomfortable or maybe they really just don't fucking care. But I'm still like, no, I'm going to tell you things about my life even if it's weird and also... I'm constantly trying to get information from my parents, but I swear to God, like getting information from old Palestinian people is fucking impossible. Like I <laughs> actually have video on my phone today because I, I, I've i been lately wanting to record my dad more. I don't know. I, I'm i freaked out because he's old and he's, you know, yeah. whatever. So I'm just like, I just want to have as many memories with my dad as possible. And I was like, Baba, like what's, what's a good memory that you had like as a child? And he yeah. literally couldn't think of anything. He couldn't think of one fucking thing. <laughs>
1: And I'm like a cultural thing too, because my mom is like that. My dad, thank God, is not like that. Like yeah. my mom like almost like blanks out or like blacks out on purpose about her childhood and her life. Yeah. But, like, and, and I'm sure your dad is actually different in that like my mom wants to like very carefully curate an image of who she is and was. And yeah. so she doesn't like ever want to share anything that's like vulnerable.
0: But like- Oh, that's interesting. I think that is a cultural thing, don't you think? I definitely think it's a cultural thing and like now that I think about it cuz I grew up around a lot of Pakistani friends and I you know spent time with their moms I do think there is a certain level of like cultivating a a lifestyle or a perception of or a certain perception of themselves that they are like this is how I want people to view me and I I think also with Palestinians they just really take like a weird pride in like being emo or something like that. Like, <laughs> like my dad literally was telling me he was like, yeah, I mean one time I went to the Israeli border um because there was a citrus tree there. That was kind of cool. And I was like, dad, that's a huge fucking bummer. Like why would you even tell me that? Yeah. <laughs> but that's
1: like, really intense. <laughs> but I mean that like I'm sure that that's like a very interesting story, you know,
0: if you pride I, I did try to dig a little bit deeper, but it it really was just like, yeah, me and my boys just, we knew that there was like an orange tree. We wanted some oranges. We went there. My dad found out and he got really mad at me because it's dangerous to be around there. And, th- and that was a story. And I was like, so that was one of your highlights. And he was like, yeah, I'm like, that's fucking bleak. I'm going to be
1: honest with you. That's a really bleak highlight dad, but thank you for sharing. Do your parents ever share Um, like, like my sister when she went to pakistan recently um i guess she discovered like love letters that like my not <gasps> love letters, sorry letters that my dad had written to a friend of his and like letters in response about a girl that he was at some point dating or like in love with oh um, my god i know and so it wasn't even like love letters to another woman but like letters that were like about him potentially dating or whatever and like my dad like basically like laughed it off. And like, my mom didn't care. Surprisingly, yeah. like, I would imagine that she would care because, you know, like, she's reasonably jealous. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it was like, and my sister and I just kept trying to like, ask like, oh, like, who was this person? And like, is this true what it says in the letter that like, you would fall in love really easily and like all the time? Yeah. You know? And it's funny because, like, I feel like those kinds of questions are, like, so hard to, like, get them to, like, fully open up about. Like, Yes. Like, like do your parents ever talk about, like, that kind of stuff or, like – So
0: the thing about my parents that's interesting is – and I feel like anytime I tell someone this, they're like, oh, just no, of course your parents don't want you to know. But I genuinely think that my mom and my dad truly found each other because they're both such fucking nerds. Like, all they wanted to do was, like, please their parents and, like sp- – go get as many degrees as humanly possible and like pray 24 seven. Like <laughs> I genuinely don't think my parents have ever been in an environment where alcohol was present. Like I genuinely truly don't think that at all because of the people that they are, not the image that they cultivated, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, but I have my parents do have love letters that they sent to each other when they got engaged. And those are adorable. And my dad is, I guess, unique in that he's a very emotional Person And he very frequently talks about how much he loves my mom, like all the time. In fact, today I was telling him that my Instagram followers really, really love him. And he was like, you should tell your mom, maybe she'll be more affectionate towards me, which was kind of sad, Um, but um, also um, fucking
1: hilarious.
0: (laughs) Is your mom kind of like more aloof? she's way more aloof. She's totally a bitch. Like I'll say it to her face. Like mom, you're such a bitch to dad. Like, but it's like one of those situations where like guys love bitchy girls and she's just kind of like, Oh, leave me alone. And he's like, here are these flowers that I got for you. And she's like, Oh, stop really? talking to me. And he's like texting her in Arabic, like short poems and shit. Like
1: what? it's, al- yeah. Like it's just I'm like, I have to like learn from your mom. I mean, my dad also like has like, Started loving my mom more and more over time. And is like very obsessed with her, especially. <laughs> like, what did she do? I I don't know.
0: <laughs> Literally, I I tell my mom this all the time. I'm like, I don't understand why Dad likes you so much. You're not fun. Like you're actually kind of mean to him. And she's just like, I don't know. Like he's just what he doesn't even like me that much. And I'm like, are you crazy? Like. Literally yeah. if I called my dad right now and I was like who's the most beautiful person like that you've ever met he'll be like obviously your mom is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life and no one will ever compare to her and if I could make clones of her the world would be a better place like he says shit like this regularly like
1: unprovoked no one asks he just volunteers this information <laughs> That is really, really cute. That's like a standard of love to grow up around.
0: Exactly. It sets really unrealistic standards for me, especially when it comes to men. And um, I I have come to terms with the fact that I will probably not find that type of man similar to my father, not like in a creepy way, but just like in a, I think my dad is a great man and would I, I would like to be with a great man, but um, yeah, my standards are do progressively get lower and lower, which is ironic no, because no,
1: no, no, we have to stop this. And it's sucks. <laughs> Any romantic failure I've had is because my standards weren't high enough, not because they need to be lower. So, like oh. every time that I go, through- yes, every time I've gone through a breakup, I realized that dude was like not on my level, and like, yeah. well, that actually really just put a lot of shit into perspective for me. Just that one sentence, because fuck, you're right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like the reason that like. You're pro- like okay. The moment that you decide that you actually do deserve a dad, uh, not a dad. Wow, that came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> a daddy. <laughs> you deserve a man of the caliber of your dad who can love you in the way that your dad loves your mom. I think, and like openly accept it and admit it, and like fucking proudly like live it. I think that person will show up in your life. Like that's something that like my mom taught me is that like she. Was like, no, I don't. I like, I wanna be treated well and I have standards for the kind of man I wanna be with. And like, said no to like every dude who like came her way until my dad, basically, with the exception of like this one random man who was an asshole. But, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but like, it really worked, you know? And like, I have also realized that like, my last partner showed up when I decided that like I was deserving of a higher level of love and I now realize that was still not high enough. Like I'm actually deserving of even a higher level of love. And I believe in my soul, like that person is there and they will find me and I will find them. And I don't care how long it takes. Like I I'm worthy of that. And like, yes, most men are not that I'm probably gonna have to deal with a lot of assholes on the way there, but like, I'm not fucking settling. And like, I believe it's going to happen and I believe it for you. So you should believe it for you too. I'm loving all
0: the manifestation that's happening right now. That's just number one. And also (laughs) I will say though, like, even though I, I do say I've lowered my standards, I think it's not even so much like I've lowered my standards. It's that I think that as I get older and through the relationships that I've experienced, The things that I prioritize have just completely shifted. And you're so right in that, like, I think one of the problems in all of my failed relationships is that I wasn't setting my standards high enough or like in a way that kind of matched with me. And that was always a problem because I think that I have a certain personality type where, and not to sound like an asshole, but I think in a relationship, there's always like a star, right? There's always a star of the relationship. Unfortunately, I am that fucking person. So, I need someone to be able to deal with that. And a lot of men don't like that. But there are, I'm sure men that exist in the world that do like that, but for a lot of guys it was it's really hard for them to deal with, like, oh, she's funnier than me. Like, why is she funnier than me? Or people are more excited to see her than they are to see me. Or just, like, little things like that that I noticed over time were bothering the guys that I've liked in the past. And also, I was talking to a friend recently about relationships, and I realized a theme that I have is that usually I don't really like the guy that much, and then they, like, just convince me over well obviously i'm in charge of my own feelings so i will take some responsibility but like they kind of wear me down and then eventually i'm just like how bad can this be that's always kind of been my approach to relationships just kind of like you're not my first pick but you've worn me down how bad can this be which is terrible
1: yeah it is terrible (laughs) wouldn't recommend would not recommend we're changing the strategy starting today new the strategy is like sit on my couch and hope
0: that someone magically appears.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I saw this like Instagram meme or something that was like in my like early twenties or like teens, like got out of a breakup and like out on the crowd like out on town like looking for my new partner or boyfriend or whatever. And like in my thirties, like (laughs) my part my future partner will appear at my door. Like literally Literally. you know like it's just a totally different uh, I don't even care. I'm just, like, focusing on my work right now, and, like, it'll happen.
0: And that's the thing. I do believe that it will happen for you. I believe that it'll happen for me. It just kind of, like – I don't know if you experience this at all, but, like th- – even though my parents are not the traditional Muslim parents, they still very much so would like for me to get married. But I think in just like a more practical way, again, my parents are Palestinian. So they're very emo all the time and very morbid. And, you know, my parents are just always saying, like, you know, we're going to die and there's not going to be anyone left to help you if you ever need help. And your siblings all have their own families and you're going to be all alone and you have no one to help you. And you're going to be so sad. So you need to find a husband. And I keep explaining to my parents, like, I don't, getting married isn't like a solution to like a problem. Like it's, you know, finding like an equal who I don't want to kill. Like that's more so my approach. But there is this kind of like certain level of, I don't even want to say pressure, but like a nagging that happens every couple of weeks. Um, But the thing is, it doesn't change my perspective on marriage at all, but it still happens and it does annoy me. Is that something that is happening with you or your parents just kind of like, you know, go with the flow, go with God?
1: I think my parents, um, when I was in a serious relationship, were anxious for my partner to commit to me in a more serious way yeah um he and i had like moved in together and i think they were very like um they didn't understand why he wasn't proposing because we'd been together for like four years and like i just turned 27 and you know he was like 28 going on 29 like we're of reasonable age yeah our families get along like all the ingredients were there and they felt like a very noticeable hesitation on his part now you know understandably so um because he didn't ultimately obviously see himself with me um and i think at that time they were very anxious about it and i think it came from a sense of like is this person just like like is he just happy with the status quo or is he there when shit gets hard and then that felt that like he was not there when shit got hard you know yeah he actually dipped out right after shit got hard and you um, physically got hit by a vehicle <laughs> um but i think now that i am single again like they have no um stress about me meeting anybody or getting married or having kids anytime soon i think they feel like it'll just happen when the time is right um and i think they are excited for me to like be with somebody that maybe better meets my needs and is like more committed to me in a serious kind of way. Um, So I don't, I don't, it's, it's very interesting because I thought my parents were really eager for me to get married and like now I understand that anxiety a little bit better. And I'm like, Oh, that wasn't coming from like, they just want me to just be married and have kids. Like they want me to have that eventually, but like they wanted to know whether the relationship I was in was headed in that direction. It was very much the anxiety that I was feeling too, you know? And I don't know that much about marriage at all. Um like I want it like in the abstract in the future, but like I don't feel um like any urgency or stress. That's actually perfectly
0: articulates how I feel. Like I want it at some point, I feel no sense of urgency, and also I really am doing nothing to achieve it. I'm just kind of like I think it's gonna happen, I believe it's gonna happen, and it'll happen when it's supposed to, and I'm just gonna sit back and chill. And I think The weird thing is, is that, so you're the oldest. So your parents are kind of just kind of like probably hyped, like, ooh, one of my kids is going to get married. It's going to be fun. You know what I mean? My parents are like, she's the last one. Like, we like let's just fucking, you know, check it off. (laughs) Say we did the thing and just be done with it. I think that's more so their kind of approach to it is just more like, okay, let's just check this off. But they're also... They also realize that I'm very different, I think, than most of my siblings and that I'm also – I know myself in a way that I think they – didn't know I was capable of because I think because I'm the youngest, they always just kind of saw me as like a baby. And I think they're now coming to terms with the fact like, oh, no, she's an adult and she actually, you know, is very independent and she actually really knows herself, which most of my siblings got married very young. So they didn't really know themselves that well at the time. It just kind of worked out for them. But I think that's something that happens when you get older and you're not in a relationship it, it makes things easier. And it makes things harder. Like I know immediately, if I'm not going to click with someone, I just I don't know, relationships are are such a strange thing. And, and like, you would think that yeah. as you get older, they become easier to navigate. And I think in ways they do. But at the same time, they're just
1: you figure it out as you go. Yeah, I think you do too. And I think so much of it comes back to self worth. Um, and like, I'm definitely realizing I have more self-worth than I've ever had in my life. And it took me literally 27 years to get it. Like it, it was like in the hitting of the car that I was like blessed with self-worth. So I was like, wow, whatever, take whatever you need to like, give me this and let me keep it forever because it is such a hard and lifelong lesson to learn, you know? And I think like, not to make this super religious, but like, I am realizing that there is a lot about it in Islam, and like, I went to like a Rumi class with a friend recently. Um, and we were like reading from some of Rumi's poetry and almost all of Rumi's poetry goes back to self-worth and like being on the path means like being in tune with yourself, right? Like being in touch with God is like you respecting your, your body and mind and soul. And like, that took me a really long time to learn. Um, and I think it does translate positively into relationships when it does sink in, you know? I feel like
0: when I read Rumi when I was younger, I really just thought it was all about like loving God and and which is great and everything, but reading it again as an adult, I can definitely see more so of that, you know, finding yourself worth and that all kind of tying into, you know, faith and and all of that. But, um, I, I've honestly had the best time chatting with you. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Um, I want you to plug all of your things because people need to hear and read and see everything that you do.
1: Mm, That's so sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. And this was like such a fun conversation. I feel like we talk about things that are so rare, at least in the Muslim community. So it's always very refreshing to be able to like honestly talk to another person about it. Um, and as far as plugging things, I mean, I don't have anything actually immediately to plug. Um, I have a bunch of shows coming out later this year that I'll, um, you know, advertise on my Twitter and Instagram at M-Yusuf, M Yusuf and as in monkey and Yusuf is spelled E-U-C-E-P-H all weird. Um, <laughs> I know blame my dad for that one. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I speak at a variety of locations. I'm going on a speaking tour in late March. Um, I'm speaking at Issa Good College uh, at Michigan University and the Michigan um, or the Detroit Entrepreneurs Festival. Um, and then I'll be speaking in Boston in May. So I'll post about all of those things on my Instagram and Twitter. So people can come like, listen, if they want or meet me in person. Um, And the shows, yeah, the shows will be public when they're, when they're out. So just stay tuned, I guess.
0: Yeah. Follow her on Instagram. Follow her on Twitter. Um, I will post about your podcasts when they do come out because I already know that I'm going to love them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This has been such a fun conversation. And honestly, I'm so glad that we were able to do this. Um, As always, you guys can follow me on Instagram at e. You can follow the podcast at Arab American Psycho. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps
1: me out. And I will talk to you guys next Sunday.